Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I know, as you heard that first reading, that many of you were really jealous that you weren't in Bev's spot reading that reading. I think we need to show Bev a lot of appreciation for reading that. What if I told you right now I was not preaching on that? I just wanted to see her read that. Now, actually, I am preaching on that reading. That's why I had her read that reading. And uh, what I remember years ago when I first read the book of Nehemiah, that when I read not only that passage but that book, and any time I read any list of names in the Scripture, for example, not only in Nehemiah but in Chronicles, my, uh, my eyes immediately glazed over. Right? For any of you that read the scripture, like, why am I reading this? It's a waste of time. But really, it's not. And in fact, the historical books in general, I used to read those books and think, why am I reading these historical books? What does this mean? And my kids, when they were in middle school and high school, they used to think history was boring. And I used to think that history was boring. But I've grown in an appreciation for history over the years, and I like history. And not only do I like history, I find history very helpful and informative. And over time, as I've read the book of Nehemiah over and again, and as I've read books about Nehemiah, not only have I found Nehemiah helpful in setting the setting of Nehemiah in history, in Israel's history, really, really helpful, but I've read books that have really taught me a lot from Nehemiah and his life and what he did in the history of Israel. One book in particular is a book entitled Hand Me Another Brick by Chuck Swindoll. And I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Chuck Swindoll as a teacher and as a preacher. But he's had a ministry that has spanned 50, 60 years and he's just wonderful. And I remember the first time that I actually heard of Chuck Swindoll was from my wife, Meredith, who would stay at home with the children when they were younger. And she said, you know, you actually have to share me, Greg, with Chuck Swindoll. Because he's such a fabulous preacher and teacher. And I actually started listening to Chuck. And then I read the book. I don't even remember when. It was probably back in the 80s. And I grew in my appreciation of the book of Nehemiah. And understood it as more than a historical book. That you could learn about character. You can have insights for what it means to be a Christian. And more than just a Christian, but really a Christian leader. And then over time, I began to use it for teaching classes and leading vestry. And then, more recently... I wrote my own notes on Nehemiah into a booklet, 
and I use it for leading clergy conferences over in Tanzania back in 2012. That's how much I think of the book of Nehemiah. Now let me set the stage just so you understand how much I didn't think of the book when I first started reading it and why I think so much of the book now. When you first started, start reading the book of Nehemiah and you come to chapter 1, one of the first things you read in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer to the king. Wow. That's really impressive. You've got an enslaved Jew, an enslaved people, and he's a cupbearer to the king. How much are we going to learn about this? Well, what you learn is this is a very important and significant position. That this man is a very trusted person. That he was in that position not because he was like a court jester. Not because he was a lackey. And just to put it in perspective, Meredith and I watched a movie last week. And the movie was recommended by our family member who is like the Siskel and Ebert combined. This would be our son Aaron. Aaron said, you've got to see this movie. This is one of those movies where you're on the edge of your seat the whole time. And the movie really does keep you on the edge of your seat the whole time. It's, it's entitled No Escape. And it stars Owen Wilson. And Pierce Brosnan makes a lot of, you know, a lot of appearances throughout the movie. And most of the movie is believable. It's a bit of a stretch, but it's believable. But early on in the movie... There's a scene where you're brought into the entryway and then actually into a meeting room of a king, a foreign king. And what you see is this very impressive servant. And you see him taste the wine. And obviously, if the wine is poisoned, he's going to die. And he okays the wine, and then the wine is served to the king, and an important person that the king is meeting with. And then as this person is dismissed from meeting with the king, he's escorted out by this person who tasted the wine. And then as he takes the person out to his vehicle, you hear shots come from inside the palace, and the king has been assassinated. And this wine taster is so distraught he kills himself. He believes he has failed in his mission, not just in tasting wine, but in protecting the king. He's such a loyal servant. That would be Nehemiah's role. That Nehemiah has such an intimate and committed relationship to the king, that when he bears the cup, he is basically saying, I will lay down my life for the king. And the king knows that level of commitment. In fact, my guess is that when all the yes men walk out of the room, that the king would say to Nehemiah, 
Nehemiah, what do you think? That's how trusted a friend he is. So that when you're introduced to Nehemiah as a cupbearer, that many people during the era that would read this book would understand this person to be a trusted friend. Also in chapter 1, you're introduced to the news that Nehemiah receives, which is from a relative of Nehemiah who comes and says, Jerusalem is in total disarray. That in 538, the news is that all Jews can go back to Jerusalem. That the Jews are free from enslavement if they want to go back. And so the Jews go back, and over time they rebuild the temple. And you would think that they would be fired up about their faith, that they'd be committed to the Lord, that they would eventually begin to rebuild Jerusalem, and that they would get their act together. But the news comes back that the people are in disarray, there's division, and they're really not motivated. Nehemiah is devastated. He weeps, he fasts, he prays. Chapter 2. I'm not going to do this the whole time, by the way. (laughs) Chapter 2. Nehemiah says, And I've not been sad in the presence of the king before. How many of you can say you've been to work every day and you've never been sad or upset? I can't say that. I'm a pretty upbeat person. But you get to chapter 2 and Nehemiah says, I've never been sad. The king notices. The king notices. That's how close they are. There are spouses who don't notice things like that. The king notices and says, Nehemiah, you look sad. This sadness is not the sadness of one being sick. This sadness is sadness of the heart. Tell me what's wrong. That's pretty amazing. That means I count you as my friend. I want to know what's on your heart. So Nehemiah tells him. This is an intimate friendship. So the king says, tell me what I can do for you. That's pretty impressive. The king says, let me serve you. So Nehemiah says, allow me to go to my people. And figure out what I can do to help them out. The king says, go, what, what can I send with you? He says, let me let you know. So Nehemiah goes on his way. This is around November, December. Nehemiah arrives. Doesn't really tell anybody what's on his mind. Surveys what's going on around the city. Figures out what he needs to do. Calls everybody together. Says, here's the plan. We're going to rebuild the wall. Because in order to begin to get organized, we've got to rebuild the wall because you people are disorganized and there's no security around this city. Now, I've never been to Jerusalem, but I've seen pictures. The wall is immense. And the wall is a mess and the gates are broken down. 
So they rebuild the wall, they rebuild the gates in 52 days without heavy equipment. He gets the resources conscripted by the king because the king helps him out because he's a trusted friend. Nehemiah deals with, in the meantime, division within, conflict of the people, competition, complaining. We never deal with that here. Anyway. Then he deals with intimidation and threats from outside. And the wall is built in 52 days. It's an amazing accomplishment. After nearly 100 years of the people being free, they finally have a temple. They finally have a wall. After nine months, approximately, from Nehemiah when he got the news, got organized for travel, traveled there, surveyed the situation, got the materials, they built the wall. The temptation now is back to business as usual. Because when they rebuilt the temple, which represents the presence of God, the, the temptation was and ended up being, okay, now that we've got the temple here, everything should go fine. And what did the people do? They went back to business as usual. They treated the temple as if it was a lucky charm, a rabbit's foot. It represented God's presence. Hey, we got what we need. We should be fine. And it didn't work. The same temptation existed with the wall. Now we got our Jerusalem back the way it used to be. Everything should be fine. We should be okay. And Nehemiah said, that's not what's going to happen. We're going to get straight with the Lord. We're going to get in focus. We're going to get our priorities right. So we arrive at chapter 8. Not too bad. Seven chapters in a few minutes. That's good for me. Trust me. So what do they do? Nehemiah and Ezra the priest get together. They bring the people together, all ages. And they spend half a day reading the word of God. And who do they have there? Twenty-six leaders. Can you read those names again? No, just kidding. Just kidding. Twenty-six leaders. And also Levites, the priests. Let me tell you who those leaders are. Those leaders are the small group leaders, the Stephen ministers, the intercessors. Those are the people that are going to care for the people and explain the word and pray with the people as the word of God is unfolded. And the clergy. As the word of God is being taught to the people. And everybody stayed. And everybody was attentive. Because they had the temple. They had the wall. They had everything they needed. Physically. 
But they needed to get their focus right. God had provided for them. God had freed them. And you know, it just happened to be, by the way, in the timetable, what was called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a festival time. It's a time when people would come together and they would focus on the word of the Lord. And so God brought the people together through Nehemiah, through Ezra, and said, we're going to get our focus right right from the very beginning here. And it's not about the temple itself. It's about the Lord of the temple. And it's not about the wall. It's about God providing the security through his word, through worship through fellowship with one another, through growing in the knowledge and love of Him, through supporting and encouraging each other, and through growing and being His people. Get your focus right from the beginning. Because it's not just about having a church building. It's important to do the work, yes. It's important to have what you need, yes. But you've got to get your focus right. And the people stayed. Because they recognized it wasn't working before. We were divided. We were fearful. It wasn't working. We needed the Lord. What was their response when they recognized what the Lord was doing? Did you catch what their response was? They wept. They wept. They were touched to the core of their being. Look down through history. When the Reformation happened, through Martin Luther and John Calvin, through John Wesley and Thomas Cranmer, George Whitfield, the Great Awakening. When people heard the Word of God, what did they do? They wept. When great evangelists began to preach, like D.L. Moody, Billy Graham, people wept because they were cut to the heart. They were tears of pain. They were tears of guilt, tears of shame, tears of remorse, regret. They were tears of release. Because people realized that they had sinned, that their focus was wrong. That it was on themselves. That it was on things. It was kind of like the Exodus.
But God provided a point person to lead the people out, Moses. Just like now, God provided a point person in Nehemiah. And interestingly enough, when God provided, he sent them out into the wilderness and they had tents. And now it's the feast of booths or tabernacles, which is tents, just like that day. It's also the Feast of Harvest. God was having His harvest. And God was bringing release. God was pouring His Holy Spirit out and washing away the years. Then what happened? Nehemiah says to the people, wait a second. This is a day of celebration. This is a feast. God doesn't want you staying in your tears. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's celebrate. Let's get the wine out. Nathan said it last week. It's about joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength, so let's celebrate. God doesn't want us wallowing. God wants us to experience the outpouring of His Holy Spirit. When Jesus went to the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles in John 7, He stood up at the feast and He said, Springs of living water will flow out because the Holy Spirit is poured out. And the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Joy. Joy. And that's what Nehemiah was saying. The tears are released. The tears wash away. That the repentance brings joy when you understand it. And that's what God wants us to experience. And that's your strength. That when we get our focus right, when we get our focus right, that the Lord ultimately brings us that joy. And so many Christians are joyless. That's because so many Christians don't have their focus right. Yes, they know they have the church there. But so many Christians don't really seek to worship. So many Christians don't seek to grow. They stop growing when they're children. They stop growing at adolescence, at confirmation. The Lord wants us to continue to grow. The Lord wants, the Lord wants us to keep our focus right. It's so easy to get sidetracked, especially today. It really is. To go about our daily business, to get caught up in the world. That's what the people did. They built a temple, they went on their way. Same thing could have happened when they built the wall. 
Nehemiah could have said, great, got the building done, we're done. Go ahead, go back to your life. And it wasn't easy to build that wall. At times they had to have a sword in one hand and a trowel for the cement in the other hand because of the threats from outside. We built this church kind of like the temple. God's blessed us. We're about to build the wall, if you will. Parish hall, preschool, parking lot. You know, it's what's around us. It's going to take longer than 52 days, though. <laughs> and you have to do the work, by the way. You've got to do the work. You've got to take care of those material things. But that's not what our focus is about. Got to do it. Just like they had to build the wall. But the focus is beyond that. Today's our annual meeting. Got to do the business of the church. But our focus is beyond that. People have been talking to me this past week or two about what happened with the Anglican Communion and the Episcopal Church and all that stuff. Our focus is beyond that. People have been talking to me about what's going on with the Supreme Court decision and the lawsuit. You know, it's kind of that division and attack from without and all that. Let me just tell you right now, nothing. We haven't heard a thing. But that's a distraction. We've got to keep our focus. We have to keep our focus. The focus is on worship. The focus needs to be on building each other up. That's our focus. And the Lord's blessed us with so many leaders and so many ministries to do that. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The Lord does not want joyless Christians. He wants us strong. Strong for Him. Strong for each other. Strong for the challenges. Don't be sidetracked by the world. Let's keep our focus. Let's be filled with joy. Let's worship the Lord. And be there for each other. Please bow with me in prayer. Nehemiah said... 
This day is holy. Holiness is being set aside for God. Lord, we long to be set aside for you this day and every day. Filled with your spirit that we would be your people. A priestly people, a holy people, a chosen people. To serve you, to serve each other. And to be a witness to the world around us. Lord, help us to keep our focus right. Amidst the distractions of the world. Amidst the temptation to go back to go back to the old life. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Help us to be holy. Help us to be filled with joy. To be blessed and to be a blessing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.